Hi, and welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And Introducing, we're talking about brother bands today. Bands that contain pairs of brothers, uh, a classic dynamic for rock bands. Uh, We're going to be starting today talking about... uh, those two brothers who are perhaps some of rock and roll's best known, most contentious pair of brothers, that's Liam and Noel Gallagher. Uh, but to talk about brother bands, we have two rock and roll brothers. They are from the Parquet Courts. It's Andrew and Max Savage. Welcome to the show, guys. How are you doing? Good. Thanks Great, for having Chris. Us. Molly, thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. Being here now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mention Sorry. It. I will. I th- I'll try to make that my last uh Oasis pun, but I make no promises. So yeah, before we we get into uh, you know the little article that we have prepared about the Gallagher's and talking about other brother bands in general, you know, uh, you know, as we were going back and forth about what we should talk about in this episode, you know, it came up the idea of the dynamic of bands with brothers in them and uh, what that brings to the band dynamic. Now, I have to say that this is kind of foreign to me as an only child. And Molly, of course, is one of four sisters. So we have to say that we are entirely foreign to the concept of our experience of having a brother. <laughs> you guys walk this earth in a brotherless existence. It's yeah, true. absolutely. You should try it sometime. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I wish. Maybe sometime later in life I can find a, you know a, a, a someone to adopt as an official brother. <laughs> But I don't know. Is that something that that a, a dynamic? Obviously, you guys can't avoid being brothers and being in a band. Uh, but is that an idea dynamic that you guys end up thinking about a lot or, or coming to play uh, as you guys, uh, you know, go through life in a band as brothers? Uh, well, it's definitely something that I'm really proud of. Um, whenever I think of everything that the band has accomplished, you know, the thing that I usually say I'm most proud of is the fact that we've been together for over 10 years now. But especially the fact that I've been playing in this band with my brother. We've been doing that for 10 years. And, um, I, you know, there's something to be said for that. Andrew, it's, it's my under, or understanding that, you know, the, 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 the germ of the band started with you and Austin when you guys uh, met in Texas, right? And from there, how quickly was it that Max got involved in the, uh, in the group? Well, the germ of the band didn't start in Texas. I mean... The germ of the band, I guess, starts with me living in New York and wanting to, you know, start a new band. And, you know, obviously I knew Max the longest (laughs) and uh, I knew Sean and Austin separately. I actually both met them in Denton, Texas. Uh, Austin and I lived in the dorms together and we were pals there. And then Sean, I met when his band, uh, Daniel Stripe Tiger from Boston, came through Denton, Texas. They played a house show at the house I was living at. I booked them and, you know, kind of fell in love with Sean. And so the the germ of the band uh, starts in New York and I want to start a new band. And I wanted to start a band with Austin. I wanted to start a band with Sean. And um, I happened to have an amazing drummer for a brother. So that's where it starts. The The advantage of obviously like knowing somebody that long that, that you know and understand is as a musician. I mean, you just have somebody on call who's a great uh, drummer. Do you find that the uh, the brother relationship gives you a more implicit understanding of what you need from each other in a band than other bandmates you've had? You know, easier to work as one or do the contentions of having a lifelong relationship with each other, you know, uh, what, what, what is the dynamic there? Does, is it more of a driver or a, um, you know, supporter? It's hard to say for me. Um, well, 
because Max is probably one of the most intuitive musicians I've ever played with. And I don't know if that's from us being brothers or if that's from him just being really good. <laughs> I mean, I just to brag about Max a bit, please. Uh, Max is the only person in the band who truly plays every instrument in the band and uh, has a, a great singing voice too. But, uh, you know, Max is one of those musicians that, uh, you know, I don't have to worry about him uh, learning something really quickly. He's a really quick study and I don't even have to explain things uh, to him. Um, there are other musicians that I've played with that have those qualities that I'm not related to. So it, it probably is partly him just being a very good musician. Uh, and there probably is some, some sort of, you know, brother, brotherly thing there, but uh, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to articulate uh, which, which is from which. Yeah. I have to say, I've been doing a lot more singing um, with this new album and there's even one song that we perform, Just Shadows, where it's pretty much Andrew and I harmonizing the entire time. And uh, I do think it helps that we're brothers because, I mean, we do have uh, similar voices. And whenever I remember we started practicing that harmony, it just kind of came about so naturally. We just kind of had it from the start, honestly. And um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're this tight unit musically. And I absolutely think it benefits that we're brothers because we sound alike and oftentimes we think alike. Now I have to ask the, we don't always look alike. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask the inevitable question. Did you jam as children or was this more of like an adolescent into adulthood thing? I'm just, you know, imagining the, the like a uh, bucolic picture of like drumming on like a bucket or something while you're, while your bro sings. Yeah. We didn't jam a whole lot because Andrew was always, you know, significantly older. I mean, six years is a, is a big difference because when he was playing in bands when he was in high school, I was still in elementary school. And so I would say that gap sort of prevented some of the jamming early on. Yeah. It wasn't really till parquet courts that we kind of seriously started playing together. That high school to, well, I guess not quite elementary school uh, dynamic reminds me of a band that we've covered uh, recently on the show, the, um, the replacements, uh, yeah. you know, in which um, Bob and Tommy yeah, where Tommy kind of gets uh, uh, dragged along or initially kind of roped in and dragged along on, on Bob's project. But, you know, uh, that that dynamic there ends up being, um, you know, the, the, one of the main cores of the, of the band. But, you know, I think it, that's a, a common dynamic with brother bands is the older brother saying, come on, you do it, you know, like <laughs> in my band, you know. Yeah. The, the classic assumption then is that it allows the 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 older one to just kind of like use the the younger brother as an extension of themselves and be like, no, this is how you how you do it. But it seems like it, the way you're describing it is much more. Um, you know, you talk about Max's in, very intuitive playing. Is that seems that it, it's more of a, a mutual support thing. But let, let's lens into the the band that we started the framework on this. Uh, let's talk about one of the more more contentious brother pairs uh in rock music uh molly do you, do you want to dive into a little bit about the gallagher brothers and we can uh, uh kind of see how we feel about about oasis as a brother band yeah absolutely um yeah the you know i don't there i don't think there's a definitive like book there's a, a dis, sort of a discarded former drummer who wrote a memoir about uh you know setting the record straight about his like first five years in oasis but there was i don't think there's anything oh, like yeah. super definitive from either uh, main Gallagher bro as a memoir but so I was like well where 
where do I look for the words about music here? And the answer was there was an extremely funny Rolling Stone cover story uh, covering them at basically like the height of their fame in 1996, uh, where Liam is 23, Noel is 28, and they are both just acting like the most delightfully uh, idiotic pair of dudes I've ever heard in my entire life. Like the, the interview kind of circles around them at the Brit Awards threatening to fight anyone in the audience when they accept one of their awards. And then uh, when Michael Hutchins from NXS give like literally gives them an award, uh, they another good brother band, uh, another good brother band. Uh, Noel says they really shouldn't let has-beens hand out awards. <laughs> and then uh, when he pauses to contemplate a more lengthy acceptance speech, he decides on saying I'm rich and you're not. So <laughs> Peak obnoxious um, with the bros, and but also I would say maybe peak togetherness in the se- in the sense of their career because they've had such a tumultuous career that there are multiple. I think every major music publication has published a timeline of their beefs, um, <laughs> which is the other like main source of um, information that I've got there. But this is, I mean, uh, I mean, Max, maybe you can talk first if you're the one who's kind of more into Oasis. Like, how do you feel about Oasis at peak Oasis time when they are kind of on top of the world, winning all the awards, making a ton of money, and then also just being these sort of boorish, hilarious brothers together? Yeah, I mean, I'm most familiar with the first two records, to be clear. But I think during that time, they sort of were the best band around. I mean, they were just uh, so larger than life. And um, they really made a great pair on stage. Um, I think people really bought into their antics. And maybe they played that up a little bit more than than was really the case. Mm. Um, but between you know Noel's songwriting and Liam's voice... I mean, what else can you say other than that? They were just such a, a dynamic duo and uh, the two of them together is kind of an unstoppable force. I mean, they complement each other so perfectly. Yeah, I can remember Oasis being my first like favorite, my first two favorite bands that weren't like the Beatles. Mm-hmm. My first like two mm-hmm. favorite active bands were Smashing Pumpkins and Oasis. And I, oh, I thought you were even... going to say Smash Mouth, uh, but Smashing Pumpkins <laughs> makes more more sense yeah yeah and that well they were my first concert actually but uh, i never got (laughs) i never got to see oasis but um i can remember oasis i can remember looking forward to what's the story morning glory coming out that was the first time i knew a record was going to come out and i wanted to get it and so i had a oasis poster in my room um and then i saw them play on uh, mtv uh, music awards. I, 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 I can remember there was a show that came on MTV, like in the morning before school called rude awakening. And I would watch rude awakening and that they were doing, they were doing really heavy rotation of the videos for don't look back in anger. Um, and, um, uh, uh, what else champagne supernova. And so I can remember that kind of being, that would have been 95, uh, that was like the first time I was like, okay, I've seen the video of this band. I've, I've, I've heard them on the radio. I, I love this band. It was like my first kind of new band, them and Smashing Pumpkins that I love. So I was a, I was an early fan, but, but like Max and I think a lot of Americans, um, because they're kind of their whole catalog is really celebrated in the UK, but, mm-hmm. um, but here, uh, I, I fell off after, 
I fell off after uh, the first two records. And then I feel like that's when the more famous they got, the more brutal they were to each other. It felt like. Yeah, I feel like coming in a little later to Oasis knowledge that their their tabloid reputation uh, preceded them. And I guess almost like post 2000. Uh, you know, which is when I would have become more aware of them. It, it almost was that they had this, like in the states at least, this collection of of super singles. Uh, you know, there there are four or five hit singles. I mean, Wonderwall was already on its way to becoming like almost a cliche of a of the uh, of the huge song. You know, the the anyway here's Wonderwall joke. Uh, and then what you knew of them was this incredibly hilariously, uh, you know mutually egging on and toxic dynamic between the two guys. And it does seem like, uh, you know, as we're talking about bands of brothers in general, that it does tend to go either one way of like the, the mutual, the mutual egging on into, uh, you know, negative behaviors that that's done by, by the brother relationship or the, the mutual support into, you know, excellence in that, that like two brains, one mind kind of uh, dynamic in either ways. And they're, they're like the pinnacle example of, of two guys that are like so alike, but also so opposites that they, they keep bringing out the worst in each other seemingly purposely. And that reputation, at least for my, me or my understanding or, or how I absorb them and if going after the early 2000s, that that was what the thing that seemed to precede the actual music, you know? You know, it's been um, it's been scientifically proven in many peer reviewed journals that you cannot put on Wonderwall in an English pub without everybody in there singing along. And it really <laughs> is like it, it's, it really is one of the most pathetic things to witness. Like <laughs> it comes on in a pub and just everybody stands and puts their hand on their heart. And, you know, I said, hey, babe. it's really strange. They they like they can't help themselves. It's really bizarre. Um, well, you know, obviously the mu- the music speaks for itself. We'll pipe in some of the, the music in the actual podcast. Um, but, you know, also knowing the, the reputation, I getting into this, I was I knew that Noel and Liam are, you know, f- fighting, fighting brothers, the, fi- the fighting brothers Gallagher. But I forgot kind of the details of the fights. And I just wanted to maybe do like a, a quick laundry listing of some of the the um, beefs that they've gotten into over the years. At this point, from the 1996 Rolling Stone cover story, they've already uh, almost broken up once in 1994 when Liam started cheekily changing the lyrics of uh, a song when they were playing in Los Angeles and then uh, hit Noel over the head with a tambourine, which is one of the most, you know, I don't, I don't know how many people we've covered who've like literally fought on stage, but that's that's special. You know uh, what? I, and, th- yeah. There's an interesting segue from that. Um, yeah. There was a, you know, the, the kinks, Ray, um, Ray Davies and Dave Davies were obviously had a similarly toxic relationship. Mm. But one of the um, one of the few times uh, Ray Davies stood up for his brother was in the the, the drummer of the kinks, whose name I, I'm, it's not coming to me right now. He yeah, he he hits uh, he hits Dave Davies in the head and he becomes unconscious. This is on stage. And then, um, and then uh, Ray Davies then attacks him and is like, "What have you done to my brother?" So <laughs> oh my God. Another another story of a of a band, <laughs> not two brothers coming to fisticuffs on stage, but one brother defending uh, the other brother. And in in Dave mm. Davies' uh, biography, he says um, he says that's the one 
thing that prevented me from hating the guy is that he prevented <laughs> me that time. Well, that that is a classic brother tendencies, right? Is the uh, the kind of no one hits my brother but me oh, uh, yeah. behavior? Oh yeah, yeah. You can't talk about him. He's my brother. Like you know, yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Not that people ever have a mean thing to say about Max ever. <laughs> I don't really. Have but if, that but if they did, it's on site. Absolutely. Uh, another instance that happened before this 1996 cover story was uh, the recording of an interview with an enemy ju- enemy journalist named John Harris. Uh, which quickly fell out of control that basically depicted a fight between Noel and Liam, a verbal fight between Noel and Liam that was inspired by a situation where Liam and the rest of the band got too drunk on a train to the Netherlands and got kicked out oh, and yeah. like booted for like deported from the Netherlands. And Noel was like in his room and missed it. And he was basically like screaming at Liam being like, you think you think rock and roll is about the attitude and about like the way you act. And I think rock and roll is about the, the Fukin music mate. And Mm. this interview got recorded and released as a single in 1995 called, and it was entitled wibbling rivalry. And it was credited to the band Oasis, but with an asterisk. So it was like, (laughs) Oh, star sis. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Have you, have you heard that one before? Uh Bullshit. Well, you've been running on about, right? If you think rock and roll, if you think rock and roll, if you think rock and roll, it's getting arrested. Rock and roll is about being yourself. And I don't want no, a fucking boat and a drink and a Rock and roll's about music. 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 It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about Oasis. It's about the song. No, it isn't. It's not. It's not about you. Who's talking about the Sex Pistols? They're the best rock and roll band that ever fucking come out. They're not. They're not. They're not. They're not. They are. They're one of them. Right. They made one album. Well, the Stones have been anything without getting arrested and getting people back to the public. Of course they fucking was. so good. That's why it was so good. What, because they got arrested? Because the, so- because the Rolling Stones got arrested, no, they were no, a great no, rock and roll band. No, 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 no. Fuck off. No, but they had a bit of something else. Bullshit. Something else there. Yeah, what, an edge. Uh, Max, have you ever heard that one? No, but you know, um, I would say that they're both right. I mean, the attitude and the music went so hand in hand with Oasis that you couldn't have had yeah. uh, the band both of them. Well, I was, you know, I was going to ask you, Max, as you're the one in the, the Oasis shirt, do you, do you find that the, the, the tabloid antics, which were very much played up in the, the British press, because they, they do love an antic over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do you find that distracting from your fandom of the band? Or is that like, does it only make uh, enjoyment of Oasis better to, to kind of know that that energy like soaked through all of their songs? Um, it's a weird phenomenon. I feel like we experienced something similar on a very smaller scale early on. It might have been the NME themselves, actually, that said um, they were talking about Parquet Courts and the band Merchandise. I think they said that those two bands were the next Blur versus Oasis. <laughs> it was just so uncomfortably hyperbolic and not true whatsoever. It's, it's like, uh, you know, the, <laughs> speaking about the NME is just like, Every, every, uh, you know, pitch meeting every month when they're like, what's in the new issues? There's some editor being like, we've got to find the next Blur and Oasis. They, we've love, been they love a bad boy story. They tried yeah. to like, they tried to apply it to us, but we're just too boring to really get it. <laughs> but they, they love, uh, you know, they love a little rap scallion kind of a little rocker guy. Uh, <laughs> it, it didn't quite, it didn't quite work out. There's, there's a, a story I heard of, um, there's uh, a story that Liam tells where he catches Noel um, jacking off 
and <laughs> then sits down next to them and starts jacking off uh, so they can see who came first. Oh, my. Uh, oh, Lord. Isn't there isn't there like a, a urban legend of the Beatles doing that as well? That that could be. He, I mean, I he I mentions, he mentions that too. He he he, uh, he he talks about that being kind of a. I think that's how the interview. Like someone asked him, like, "Oh, you heard the Beatles do that?" And he's like, "Oh, well, me and Noel, uh, me and Noel did that." Uh, I think I think he his reaction were that was the words "deal me in." And uh, <laughs> oh my god, I don't know if he mentions who won. Oh damn! Yeah, that's the that what that's the entire point of it. Come on, it's gotta be it's gotta be somewhere in the in the archives. Honestly, um, their antics though, if if nobody's read the book, um, uh, the Ballad of the Satan is Real, the Ballad of the Leuven Brothers. It's a great music book about the Leuven Brothers, the the country singers. Uh, mm-hmm. The the Gallagher brothers almost seem tame by comparison. Uh, because the yes, Leuven, what, what did they do? <laughs> so the Leuven brothers were a, like a close harmony vocal group, uh, very famous for uh, this record they did called Satan is Real. Um, they have this they, they have a lot of records, but that's kind of that's a cult record right there. Um, and it's it's they have beautiful voices and it's Charlie and Ira Leuven. And it's very like um, fire and brimstone gospel country. Uh Satan is real is a record about Satan and how real he is and how, you know, he, he is a threat to our daily lives. Um, and it's really interesting because, uh, Charlie, who was saying in the lower register, he was a really devout kind of like by all accounts, uh, good upstanding Christian guy. But Ira who sang in the, um, kind of soprano register, uh, was a boozer, a violent drunk, uh, tried to kill his brother, tried to kill his wife. Um, wow. So like there, there is like some, like some real, like uh, some real violence. And it's, it's a real, like kind of a good brother, bad brother kind of uh, real goofus and, and gallant type of situation. Harmonies. These guys, they, they sang gospel harmony since they, before they could walk probably. And these these are some of the most beautiful. If you haven't heard the Leuven Brothers, check out any of their stuff. Check out Satan is Real. It's a good way to start. Uh, this book, Ballad of the Leuven Brothers, is great because it really like is like evil twin, like good twin, you know. Um, and it's right. uh, super interesting just because they're kind of talking about Satan and religion and God like the whole time. So it's a it's a really interesting dynamic. Uh, I'm I'm imagining that the more devout brother uh, when he's singing Satan is real is uh, a, a picturing Satan is real and he exists between the workflow between me and my brother uh, trying to trying to get these gospel songs out. Uh, I was listening to the Lumen Brothers uh, a lot last year because Will from Chapo Trappos was very into them. Apparently his father was listening a lot towards the end of his life. Um, so I, I Will was passing on tracks of them and, and they are a, a very excellent example of that kind of like American gospel harmony tradition. Molly, uh, what else do we have from the, um, the profile? Well, in terms of history, beef history. Um, yeah, that, that, that was pretty much it leading up to 1996. Uh, and then from there on, it was basically kind of like a, a, a dance between who was trying to quit or trying to leave in the middle of a tour, which I, I wanted to ask both of you guys. Like it does sound, I, 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 I'm not a musician. I've never been on tour, but it does sound like tours and concerts are a very like high pressure 
scenario where, you know, maybe someone's worst uh, self can can come out. And have you ever had those kind of situations? Obviously, I, I don't think either of you has beaten each other over the head with a tambourine or, you know, heckled each other from the audience. But how, are you familiar with this kind of like uh, tour or live performance kind of going nuts and uh, and lashing out situation? Absolutely. But I would say that Max is just probably one of the most well-adjusted people on tour. And I've known a yeah. lot of musicians that tour. And uh, I think, Max, you, you probably, you know, you're typically the, you know, the first uh, the first in the lobby in the morning and the first to go to bed, which is probably the probably the best way to do it, honestly. Yeah, we've never had any just insane Gallagher brother-esque <laughs> blow ups, certainly not during a performance. Um, I, I think it helped that they for Oasis that they were standing right next to each other and can just, you know, poke each other all they wanted to for one thing but yeah i mean we've i think people are surprised to hear um how well we've kind of always gotten along on tour max is probably one of the most easy people to get along with of all my friends he's also my brother but i i would say that and that probably goes for most people who are friends with max and that i don't think that applies to me at all um, but I, I think most people would say that Max is probably one of the most like drama free relationships they have. Well, I, so then I have to ask and I don't, I'm, you know, I hope I'm not getting you guys to like gossip against your, your own other bandmates. But, you know, I, having uh, having done some uh, uh, tours myself, you know, I do find that you end up kind of clumping in, in groups of similar energies. Do you find that that having you guys as like kind of a, a, a block in the in the uh, the the tour energies, uh, you know, can you kind of then uh, direct what's going on a little more? Uh, do you find that it's often like you two versus the other guys? They're kind of off going to do something. You guys are going off to do something, or at least when you're uh, you know deciding which fast food to eat, you know, you guys can kind of have a guaranteed double vote. Oh, everybody uh, except for me because I'm the lone vegetarian in the band. Everybody, when it's time to order food, says I'll have what Max is having because Max usually does end up ordering the thing that everybody wants. <laughs> that's, sorry, that's, that's very interesting. And if they don't get it, if they don't get it, then they regret it as soon as uh-huh. they see me eating it. Yeah. <laughs> see, I'm very self-conscious about that because I actually, I have that same relationship with uh, bringing him up again, Will from Chapo. I've, almost, uh, so many times when we've been uh, out playing and like going to get like the emergency meal, uh, between two stops that you only have 10 minutes to do, you know, he, I see him order before me and I'm like, ah, damn, that is exactly what I want to eat. And then I feel, you know, a little like self-conscious copying his order. I I hope he doesn't think that I'm just like getting it, you know, you know, to to, to get what he's getting. But I I don't know. It's, I find like all those little moments of, of, uh, you know, decision and interaction when you're like spending all that time with each other become, you know, have a level of heightened contention to them. I think the energies within the band, people are kind of drawn to each other in different scenarios, you know. Um, Oftentimes, if we're in another town and I want to go exploring and it's before, say, noon, Max is my guy. Max is going to be there with me and Mm. we'll go and look at stuff together. If there's like a, you know, if there's like a vegan, like greasy spoon uh, spot, then... I know Sean's, you know, gonna come with me on that. If it's um, if it's a record store or if it's uh, 
a kind of a, I don't know, some sort of like mysterious, like, you know, journey to the end of the night kind of party situation, it'll probably be, you know, me and Austin. There's, there's kind of different, uh, kind of different scenarios where like people are kind of brought together, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we started talking here about the the Gallagher brothers, but you know, uh, Andrew, you said that you you had you know been thinking about a lot of different bands with a uh, yeah, you know that with the brother dynamic. Do you want to bring up some of your favorites? Uh, sure, we, I, yeah. I kind of want to see if there's anything that we can find that is like a through line between all these groups. Yeah. You know? So you know, one of Max and I's, I think both of our favorite bands is Sparks. Uh, been listening to Sparks for a long time. They are famously. The brothers, uh, male Ron and Russell, uh, which I think that they're very interesting because uh, Ron Male kind of plays the the silent character, where Russell is the kind of the amazing voice of this band, and Ron Male is the songwriter, kind of similar to o- Oasis, I think. But they both like have this like great sense of humor, and it's just uh, it's 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 really cool uh, that. I mean, and they've been, I mean, the first, their first record, which came out under the name Half Nelson in, I believe, 1969, it wasn't until 71, I'm pretty sure that the first, like, Sparks record came out, but still, 69, I mean, that's, they're still together, that's mm-hmm. a crazy amount of time, and it's just, the band is just them, they're the only two consistent members, so... I, I would, I would think that, you know, they're probably one of, I mean, another one for Max and I that we both love is Devo. Of course. Mark, Mark and two, two sets of brothers, because I believe that, uh, there were two Casales in the, in the, in there, and, then, and then there's Bob and Jerry Cas- Casale too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that, uh, that's a double brother unit, which is, uh, <laughs> one of the more exceptional brother arrangements. And I would say that that would affect Devo's amazing, like con- conceptual unity, You've got that much brother energy in it in one group that that allows them to be so on such a weird and weirdly specific page. Yeah, Chris, are you familiar with any uh, strife within in, inter in, intra devo strife, or they've been vibing for decades now? I'm not. A, I'm not aware of that. And you know, we've we've had the fortune to meet them, and we've spent some time with Mark. Um, but he doesn't. He he's he he's never really gotten into devo gossip. Uh, (laughs) he's not not, spilling there's not like a Devo spill the tea book yet that I know of so (laughs) which you know I I, one of the things I love most about that band is just kind of the mystery that is them so let's I mean the Stooges the Ashton Brothers Mm -hmm. uh, well I want to go back to Sparks for a second because another band that we were you know the way that you were talking about them was one that we were thinking about is is the Bee Gees because Molly and I watched the Bee Gees documentary uh, oh yeah uh, came out on my list. Um, recently and, and the dynamic between uh, those guys and especially their younger brother who was Very semi right. in the band. Right. Yeah. But that, that's still that time frame and having that kind of, uh, you know, pop pop success based around the brother singing songwriter dynamic from the late sixties. I mean, they didn't uh, go as long as uh, sparks are not, you know, as continually active as sparks, is, but that seems like another, uh, you know, group in that dynamic uh, as well. Absolutely. Uh, we mentioned the replacements. Uh, I mean, Beach Boys. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. Beach Boys, uh, three brothers, Brian, Dennis, and Carl. Jackson Five. All, all brothers. brothers. You know, I didn't want to, you know, I don't know if it's okay to talk, but, you know, okay, yes. When he was still an innocent, uh, <laughs> the Jackson Five. Uh, um, also, uh, uh, a very controlling father in both of those groups as well, which mm-hmm. he, 
have the blessing of having a very supporting father. So can't relate to that, honestly. Uh, are there, do you guys have any other siblings outside of, of you two or is it just you guys? We don't talk about them. Oh, okay. So it's <laughs> only, <laughs> the only two that matter. I mean, yeah, I guess no, it's just, it's just the two of us. Our parents had sex exactly twice. And <laughs> <laughs> <after> that. <laughs> I mean, I guess the thing that I'm pulling out of a, a lot of these bands and, you know, the thing that I specifically cited for Devo is that that I think that having that relationship allows for, you know, a, a kind of conceptual unity within, within the band. It, it, some of these groups have a, uh, you know, a vibe that's more than just like, oh, you know, we're I mean, that's one of the funny things about um, Oasis is that for as strong as that relationship is. Their vibe is like, hey, yeah, we just play fucking rock and roll songs. The arts, our style of music is rock and roll music. There's no greater conceptual idea there. No where Oasis it's, manifesto, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but where, that's the beauty of it, right? They're just like kind of dumb knuckleheads that you feel as home on a stage as they would in the seats of a Man City game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But well, you know, when you're thinking like, I don't know, like the Beach Boys. Uh, or something, you know, there's, they obviously start off with like a very, um, you know, kind of straightforward imagination of what, or straightforward rendering of what like rock music was like, you know, in the early sixties. And then over, you know, that initial burst of their career evolve into something that is like very specific, very, very like high concept experimental for the time, but is very like unified around, um, you know, that, that core, the ability of those, those guys to stick together and follow each other follow you know brian mostly in such a specific way you know yeah well and you know a voice like carl's too i mean that's just a, a beautiful thing that that uh that that falsetto voice that that he has uh and then i i want to say is mike love a cousin is he a relative one of them yeah. is a cousin i think it might be okay mike love or is it al jardine one of them was a neighbor one of them was ah, a cousin okay yeah, yeah yeah there's so there's yeah there's a but but still, you know, orbiting that's that central brother brother contingent. One of my, I was just going to say, one of my favorites that maybe don't get known as a brother band a lot is uh, Meat Puppets. That's uh, Kirk, okay, Kirkwood from Meat Puppets, uh, who uh, you know, I, I think I can I can really feel kind of like Big Brother energy. Uh, yeah, with Meat Puppet stuff. Yeah, and it, 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 also interesting because they're a trio as well. Now I'm just like musing about that idea of like a conceptual propulsion. And I do feel like Parquet Courts, you know, the vibe is very strong with what you guys are doing. It is, it is you guys have a very, uh, you know, specific sound. And one of the things that I've appreciated a lot as you guys have, have grown over the last decade and, you know, you put out a, a lot of really great music is that the, you do have that arc of changing and growing in very specific ways. But from the first second, from the first of like any parquet courts recording you're like oh yeah this sounds like a parquet court song obviously the stuff that's going on in sympathy for life has a very different sonic texture and thing they think you're going for than than you know light up gold but it is still of this very solid conceptual piece and and i mean i don't want to do the classic interview like tell me about your creative process but you know a, as you've evolved you have you felt that that conceptual unity around what you've been uh, working for with the band yeah, as as brothers specifically, you mean? Yeah, I mean, has that has that relationship helped you grow grow the sound and, and keep it grounded at the, at the same time? Yeah, I mean, I think that especially Andrew and I have become tighter and tighter as a unit um, as the band has developed and matured. Um, and if you know, there's just like a quick idea that we need to get down in the studio, 
Andrew and I can go into the room and have it have a basic track done in you know like 10 minutes I mean we work really efficiently and quickly I think that absolutely helps that we're brothers in that sense Max is a a great person to have in the studio because like I said he can play everything in the band and uh, I mean I can't you know I I play I play I'll play bass and keys on a record but I can't play drums I can hold like a very simple kind of rock beat but like mm-hmm. um I definitely <laughs> I can definitely remember like working on uh sympathy and wide awake which are both kind of have a ton of percussion on them and uh I can just remember Austin being like Max can you go uh you go do bongos now. Can Max, can you go do uh, marimba now? Like, oh, Max, can you go do some bells now? <laughs> like, Max just, just like keeps going in and out of the studio. Uh, if you were to look at like uh, like the tracks, like uh, on like uh, the tape machine, it would probably just say like you know Andrew vocal, Austin vocal, Andrew guitar, Austin guitar, Sean bass, Max, 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 Max. Max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, I know. I know you said before that you know, the way you create music together is there's sort of a, like a kind of mind, mind link, mind meld kind of thing going on, which I feel like I recognize that in reading a little bit more about the Gallagher brothers is like, and it almost makes up for, I mean, they're socially, I think, way different than you guys in the way that they relate to each other. But it almost, and I, I remember seeing that in the Bee Gees documentary too, of like, it it sounds like they basically could like read each other's minds and then that created like musical magic to like build on. And then it was just all the other stuff like fame and money and, you know, substances and all that, that kind of drove everyone apart. But, uh, you know, especially it sounds like the way that you make music, which doesn't, it doesn't sound strictly like you're doing guitar all the time. You're doing drums all the time. Like, does that, does that feel right in terms of like the communication of, of how everything is like getting created when it's a little bit more of a loose, a looser arrangement of who's playing what? Um, yeah, it's, it's really fun to do that, especially in the studio. It sort of gives you a different perspective on working together. Um, whenever you uh, try different instruments out or different arrangements out, and you can kind of helps you relate to each other more as well. Yeah, I would say I probably have that sort of psychic relationship with everybody in the band and have for a yeah. while. I mean, we've played with each other so much. I, you know, I think that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm proud to say we probably are one of the more hardworking bands out there, especially as far as it goes, touring goes. We played hundreds of shows between uh, 2013 and 2019. Um, I think, I think in 2018, we played over 200 gigs that year. So there's a, there's a psychic energy that happens between all of us. And, 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 you know, Max and I are the two that are related, but I, I consider all of them to be brothers. And I think Max, you probably feel the same. Like uh, it is like a, when, yeah, when you spend that much time around, you know, people, then you just become brothers in this way. Like, uh, uh, it's 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 kind of a magical thing. With with that kind of prolific touring, I'm uh, you know even more impressed with the uh, kind of prolific album uh, output with this. I mean, you guys, we saw you guys on Friday. You're you're an incredibly tight live band. You know, do you find that like working that much live, playing that much out? 
does that energy then kind of immediately come into the studio? Are you like ready to have new material when you're done with, done with a tour just from the basis of, of having that much energy, like working together, focusing together through the tour itself? Absolutely. And by that point, you're also really tired of material you've been playing. So it's <laughs> yes. the best solution is to write new stuff. Absolutely. So you guys are about to head out on another, I was just checking through your tour dates. You guys are playing like straight through June now. Oh my God. Well, we're, we're leaving tomorrow, but uh, it'll more like be till December and then it'll kind of be February to June. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like this is going to be such a, a cliche to, uh, answer or a question that you're going to get from so many people coming back in, going back out on tour for uh, after the pandemic. But like, do you feel that coming off, you know, eight years of basically uh, constantly playing out and constantly generating new material than having to take, you know, 18 months off and now co- going back there. Is there a qualitative difference to these shows or does it just feel good to uh, to to be playing again? Uh, the shows are more surreal because I didn't actually think they were going to happen necessarily, yeah. especially that first one that we did in August um, in New Jersey, which is our first show in almost two years. And um I will never take it for granted ever again. And yeah, the last few shows in the middle of the shows, I'm just so grateful that we're there being able to do it again. And I think that in, in that sense, they're more special now than they were. Yeah, I think we've always had like a, a certain talent for drawing an energy out of an audience, you know. Uh, but I will say that there is a new quality to that energy that I I don't know if I can quite put into words, but there's something new there that's kind of cool um, because people, we've gone for a long time without performing, but people have all gone a long time without seeing, you know, live music. And I, uh, you know, to, to a large degree, I think maybe a break was necessary. It would have been like, uh, you know, I, I am grateful for the break, but I'm even more grateful that we are doing this again, that I have this, you know, we have these lives where we can be professional artists, which is kind of absurd, I think. And uh, I'm <laughs> just kind of happy that we have so this opportunity because I definitely at one point kind of had to come to terms with, uh, you know, maybe it's over, you know. Sure. Well, we saw you a few nights ago at Music Hall of Williamsburg maybe one of the better like kind of consistent crowd like bouncing up and down style mosh pits I've ever seen like that was pretty that was pretty wild I like bouncing I yeah. like bouncing better than the push thing that like kind of yeah yeah the new metal push mosh thing it's, I, I you know I view I view like that kind of thing as like it's a weird kind of hangover we all have from like nirvana from like mm. kind of the advent of aggressive guitar music onto you know mass culture and everybody that is interested in rock music since then kind of has this image of a dude in a flannel shirt falling into an audience like <laughs> yep. embedded in their skull and it's like i kind of view that behavior as this weird kind of like male centric rite of passage. Oh, I got a stage dive, you know, oh, I got to like crowd surf. That's what you do at a rock concert. And it's like this weird, like, yeah. kind of like it's, it's the tail wagging, the tail wagging, the tail wagging the dog at this point. <laughs> like, uh, yep. it's like, it's, 
it's a ritual that's just become overperformed into the point of abstraction. And so whenever people do something new and creative, uh, even if it's just like bounce up and down or like just be silly, I always prefer that to that yeah. weird like male aggro, like, you know, push each other around bullshit. Like, you know what? If you're listening, don't don't come to our show and do that. Like, <laughs> dance, move your body by all means. We're not Fugazi. I'm not going to like. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, nobody have a good time. Nobody move, you know, uh, but do something cool like dance. Um, well, you know, your, your last album cover, the wide awake, uh, the, the guys in the wide awake always kind of reminded me of the, uh, uh, the skanking motion, right? Uh, which, that. which does have that kind of like classic kind of, you know, punk rock flail thing to it, but it's always more constrained. It's not about pushing somebody else. It's about, mm-hmm. you know, keeping the, the, uh, the, um, the, the, the the exuberant dance in your own space. The famous, the famous circle jerks, like skanking guy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I I used to love to draw that guy, the operation Ivy, uh, skanking rude boy, another great, uh, skanking icon. Actually speaking of circle jerks, that kind of reminds me of another kind of interesting brotherly band kind of relationship, which is, Raymond Pettibon and Greg Ginn. Oh yeah. That's like the cross media brotherly vibe. Right. Well, so Raymond Pettibon, obviously kind of a famous blue chip gallery artist now, uh, <laughs> Greg Ginn, like, you know, a wildly influential, I mean, started, he was, he was black flag, but Raymond Pettibon, you know, designed the, 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 the separated bar flag logo, which is one of the greatest band logos, one of the Absolutely. greatest just kind of like visual stamps of this, this is this thing. And you don't even need to see that it's black flag. It just is those four bars. And so kind of like one can't exist without the other, but they're kind of uh, two geniuses that have gone in wildly different directions and are kind of still. Uh, so, I mean, I went to a talk with uh at, at the strand with Kim Gordon and Raymond Pettibon and someone asked, you know, Raymond, what if, you know, if Greg Ginn came to the door right now, how would you react? And he, as of then, that was maybe about 10 years ago, but he, he talks about how their estrangement has lasted decades. Uh, it's just insane to me. I can't relate to that at all, really. Sure. And it's the same with the Oasis guys is that, you know, as, as much as the tension between them was, I don't know, delighted titillated the fandom around oasis it's like it, it does feel so tragic that you know the that kind of deep separation not just between bandmates of a band that so many people would love to see play again but between brothers is now so deeply part of that story it's a massive bummer right yeah i mean it's almost like we have to find the entertainment in it because of how sad it is that they hate each other so totally much, we have to find the humor in it you know yep yeah, because it is, I mean, especially in the last couple of years, it's been way less uh, physical violence and more just like Twitter. Liam tweeting that uh, <laughs> that Noel is a potato. So yeah. like, that's fu- like, that's funny. But then, yeah, you think, I mean, I don't know if it, it's ever a question of like them getting back together again, because I feel like there are very few bands that you can rule out a reunion entirely in this economy. <laughs> and yet I'm like, I truly wonder what it would take to get a Gallagher peace summit at this point. But. Liam, Liam called yeah, for it. Oh, wait, sorry. Go ahead, Max. Yeah. I think they're gearing up for it. So? all these tweets. Yeah. It's just uh it's early promo. <laughs> they're, they're waiting for that. Because they're and then 
they're all ready. They're set Absolutely. to go. Uh, Liam called Noel's daughter, who was a child, the C word on Twitter. The, the bad Good word God. you don't say about women. Which, like, yeah, you know, like, uh, like yeah. How do you how do you still play in a band with someone? Actually, you know what's funny is we saw um, Liam play at what festival was that, Max? Uh, is he latitude or longitude? I get him mixed yeah, up. Yeah, one or the other. But and he does a lot of Oasis songs naturally because no one wants to watch a you know a, a ninety minute uh, Liam Gallagher set. So he does a lot of <laughs> Oasis songs, which I would assume he has to pay his brother for to perform. That's them. true. Song right. there, you know, which is yeah, legally, like, which is kind of an it's almost like a tacit admission of I really can't exist without this guy. I, I do like that. They are both, you know, bl- they are related by blood. And then also they are le- legally tied to each other forever by the, the most uh, popular and good music that they have ever made with each other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, then that I'm sure that that would for you guys and your relationship, that must would it seems conceptually so strange to be like to be then like wonder if the binding thing between us was not the brother relationship, but the thing that we the most significant thing that we still have is the fact that we are co songwriters on a bunch of you know billion dollar songs, and that is now the like single link that we have. It, it's it's a weird concept. Yeah, I mean, I, with Parquet Courts, it's more like we are the co songwriters on a lot of hundreds dollar songs but yeah yeah <laughs> this is this is kind of just aside but i do just because this is the order that these episodes are coming out for us i do have to shout out that the last band that we covered on this a very different band very different vi- vibe episode uh we did look at 30 seconds to mars uh through uh jared leto's self-directed documentary about them they are a brother band uh and their portrayal of their brotherness in it is i found very gross because Again, Leto directs this documentary about them, and there's this whole segment where he has his brother, who is the drummer, uh, who is a, seems to be a very good drummer, uh, but basically has this whole seg- segment in the documentary that was like, he was his life was going nowhere. He was a fuck up and a piece of shit, and then I got him to drum for the band, and the and now I've saved his life and something. And it's like, it's it's very tense and very strange, and, and the whole vibe of that documentary as we covered extensively last last week, but I'll, I just wanted to do a little handshake between our last episode and this episode. So Jared, uh, Jared Leto, that's his band, 30 Seconds to Mars. Right, yes. Yeah, are they any good? Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I can. Uh, they, have one, they have at least one, to me, good song. Okay. That, that is what I will say about 30 Seconds to Mars. It, it, sounds, it sounds like an emo band. Are they like an emo band? Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I I would uh, what what did we say from the last week? They're they're like um they're like mellow just like melodramatic rock music in many different formats. Okay, yeah, kind of like a um grunge via the bad electro rock of the Killers, but it's one of those things where it's like none of their songs. I I can't say any of their songs are good, but they're one of the biggest selling bands technically out there right now. So it's like I don't know someone you know, someone out there thinks that they're very good. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, 1 million 30 seconds to Mars fans can't be wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's, because it, uh, Dire Straits were a brother band for a little bit. Uh, and I think David Knopfler, I want to say he was only on the first record, uh, the self-titled one. And, but he definitely was not on the record called Brothers in Arms, which is kind of funny. <laughs> 
the kind of maybe pointed underhanded thing that only a, a brother band could come up with. Um, well, I think we're going to move towards uh, wrapping up this episode. Obviously, uh, you know, you guys have a new uh, record out. Um, the name of the record is uh, Sympathy for Life. I'm sure that that is the thing that you want to plug. But, you know, wh- where's the best place to, like, find your your tour information and uh, figure out if any of our listeners can go see you guys? Our new yeah. website? Parquet-courts.com. So that's parquet-courts.com. Someone owns the not hyphenated version, but we're not paying you shit. <laughs> <laughs> the punctuation is is uh, uh it's it's saving you the you, you don't need a full a full uh url come on the hyphen it's just right above the p on the keyboard no big deal it's so close Usual yeah you reach up to that hyphen yeah you we're all familiar with that all the the dates on there um you can check out uh the record sympathy for life wherever records are sold or streamed um we'll have them at the merch desk if you go to a show uh I think Max and I can guarantee a you know a, a solid performance. We'll give it our all. <laughs> anything anything to add, Max, about the new record where people can experience it? Go out and listen to it on vinyl. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know what? That's a good point. Support your local record store. Uh, if they don't have it, ask. Some some of my favorite records I've ever bought were going to a guy that worked at a shop and being like, "Can you order this?" Um, so. Ask them to order it if you need to. The power of retail. Uh, as Molly and I referenced, we uh, saw you guys play last Friday night. Show thanks was excellent. Uh, yeah, thanks. For, I mean, thanks for uh, for having us. Um, show was great. Audience was great. Uh, you know, we we've been talking a little bit about this. That it's you know we've been very excited to go back to shows and it, the the energy mm-hmm. right now between audiences and and bands is a lot of fun to experience. Uh, it does feel like there is something special going on and 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 going to see live music at least the last few months, and I hope going forward into 2022. So if there is a time to go out and uh, support your uh, local musicians by seeing them live, it's now. If it's a time to go and ask your record clerk to special order their albums on vinyl, it is also right now. Uh, <laughs> hey, when does this air? This this thing we're doing right now. Uh, hopefully, going to try to get it up in the next like week or so. Okay. Well, depending on uh, let's see, and depending on. Depending on when it airs, you might, you know, be seeing us in uh, Burlington, Vermont, November 3rd, Portland, Maine, November 4th, Holyoke, Mass, November 5th, Asbury, New Jersey, November 6th. Are you playing uh, Higher Ground in Burlington by any chance? Uh, we are playing Higher Ground in Burlington. Which, yeah, I'm from... I'm from Burlington. That was my that was my zone. That was where I went to see the good bands when they came oh, into town. Cool. So bl- bless the bless the higher ground stage with some extra Vermont energy, please. Some big VT energy. Some big 802 <laughs> energy. The only uh, uh, area code we have. Uh, November 15th, Dallas, Texas. November 17th, Houston, Austin, Texas. November 19th. Yeah, Mexico City, November 21st. That's it. Oh, wow. I'm done, I'm done plugging our dates. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you guys so much. Andrew Max, thank you for stopping by. Thank you for talking brother bands. Thank you for putting out a great record. Uh, yes. And, you know, have a great tour. Thanks a million, man. Chris and Molly, thanks a lot. Stay, stay bros right. out there. See you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Have a great tour, guys. Bye, See you guys. Bye. All right, bye.